Uh, you may remember a few years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to preach a revival out there at Little Bahala Baptist Church. And I remember one day we were there at, uh, at Lake Lincoln, and we said, you know, I've heard that the church isn't too far from here. Let's go see if we can find it. Rode over there to find it easily, and dumb me, instead of saying, let me turn back and go back the way I went, and said, I'll just drive around. And so I went past the church onto a gravel road somewhere, and about an hour later, I'm coming off on international paper around Hikes Retreat, and uh, finally made it back. It was a long trip. I like to explore, but that was a little bit too much, you know. You know, we tend to wonder every now and then, don't we? Sometimes we make the right choices in life, which leads to blessings. But sometimes we make the wrong decisions in life, which lead to consequences and lead to hardship. And many times a day we find ourselves at a crossroad where we have to make a choice each day. And some decisions, I would say, in fact, a lot of them are not as important as some others. For example, I don't think uh, what we eat or where we eat our next meal is is, is as important as, say, like who we're going to marry or what we're going to do with the rest of our life. And the greatest decision we know that we can make is in regards to Jesus Christ. Will we accept his gospel, believe in him, and be saved? Or will we reject him and reject our opportunity to have eternal life in heaven? So as you can see, some decisions are more important than others. And the choices that we make can have some very great rewards and some very great consequences as well. And so the choices that we make can reveal a lot about who we are as well. You see, as a way to build and shape our faith, God sends us through periods of testing, periods of trials. He puts us through those in our life. And our choices during those times reveal a lot about us. Will they reveal that we're more concerned about what we want or what he wants? Will they reveal that we have a godly character or that we have a worldly character? Will they reveal that we have a weak faith or strong faith? And these times of testing and trial are often referred to as a wilderness experience. And the wilderness times can truly reveal our heart. See, after leaving Mount Sinai, the Israelites entered the wilderness for a time. They did went through a time of testing by God. And we're going to see here tonight that they continually made some bad choices. And so the wilderness was not a permanent place. Understand that the Israelites did not have to stay there all their life, but it was an in-between place, an in-between place between Mount Sinai and the Promised Land. And even though we know that they were there for 40 years eventually, that it was still just a short time in the grand scheme of life. And so our life in this flesh is being in the wilderness, isn't it? You know, this life is only temporary as we await our promised land in heaven, don't we? And so as we live this life, what will be revealed about us? Will we make the right choices? And what are those right choices? And so tonight I want us to see the choices that the Israelites made in the wilderness so that we can see the choices that we should make in this life. And so I want us to look at six different choices tonight. And the first one you'll see there is in Numbers chapter 11. 
And the Israelites, they chose to complain. They chose to complain. Now, they begin uh, setting off for Mount Sinai, and they begin by complaining about the hardship of the journey. So look at Numbers 11, verse 1 through 3. Now the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. And when the Lord heard his anger burn, and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp, then the people cried out to Moses, and he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was named Taborah, because the Lord's fire had blazed among them. And can you imagine it's... Every time we turn around, it seems like the Israelites have complained since they left Egypt, isn't it? But I mean, how many times we do that as well, too? But here they are. They, they're setting off for Mount Sinai. They're headed to the promised land, I mean, through the wilderness. And they get all into this, and they begin complaining. And once they began complaining, God just sent a fire, didn't he? Burned the outskirts of the camp. And so they complained about the hardship of the journey, and I'm sure it was a hard journey. When we get into Deuteronomy, one of the things that I love is in Deuteronomy, it says that you wore the same shoes for 40 years and they never wore out. Your clothes never wore out. Boy, wouldn't that be great? I can't wear a pair of shoes two years before they wear out, much less 40. But it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that it, even though it was hard, God took care of them in that wilderness. So they complained about the hardship. They complained about the food as well. Look at verse 4 through 9. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites whipped again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to look at but this manna. And the manna resembled coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of Bedelum. The people walked around and gathered it. They ground it in a pair of grinding stones and crushed it in a mortar, then boiled it in a cooking pot and shaped it into cakes. They tasted like a pastry cooked with the finest oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Well, wouldn't this be nice in a way that you didn't have to go to the grocery store. You didn't have to spend the money on it. You just get up, go out in the yard each morning, pick up the food, and go for it. You know, I'm sure that this wilderness area was very desolate. Probably wasn't a lot of uh, animals around. It's the area that we know is the Arabian Peninsula today, and it's very well desert. And so there they are, and they, they have this food. And, you know, I know a lot of us, we eat the same thing over and over and kind of gets old. But God provided it for them, didn't he? And it wasn't just any old seed. It was tasted like the finest pastry, didn't it? And so they complained about the food, kind of like, let's go back to Egypt. Remember all that free fish, free fruit, and all that stuff? But we don't have that out here. But not only did they complain about the food, they complained about the task that God, um, that God had called Moses. Moses complained about it, excuse me. And so look at verse 10 through 15. Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents. And the Lord was very angry. Moses also was provoked. So Moses asked the Lord, 
Why have you brought such a terrible trouble on your servant? Why are you angry with me? And why do you burden me with all these people? Didn't I conceive, did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth so that you should tell me, carry them at your breast as a nanny carries a baby to the land that I swore to give your fathers? Where can I get meat to give all these people? For they are weeping to me, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. They are too much for me. And if you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. If I found favor with you and don't let me see my misery anymore. You see here, Moses was, he's heard this complaining time and time again. And you know, when you hear that a lot, it begins to wear on you, don't it? And Moses here kind of wore on him. And he's like, God, what, what, why'd you give me these people? What are we going to do with these people? I'm not their mama, you know? <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, why'd you give these to me? I cannot do it all by myself. And he even gets to the point in verse 15 where he says, if this is how it's going to be, just kill me now. Just kill me now. Just go ahead and take me. He, was, he did not want to go through this. And so he complained about the task, you know. But in his grace, the Lord provides for the complainers, doesn't he? If you've read the rest of verse, I mean, chapter 11, you'd see that uh, in verse 16 and 17, that God appointed 70 elders then to help Moses. Moses not only had his brother and leaned on him, but now he had 70 other elders and leaders that came alongside him. And you know what? I think it's the perfect picture of deacons coming around the pastor here. Kind of like Old Testament deacons, you know. That we see here that 70 men came around Moses to help him and lift the burden off of him. And also we see interesting thing in 18 through 32 where God says, you know what? You want him meat? I'm going to give you some meat. And he sends quail into the camp. I mean, quail, they can collect all the quail they want. Didn't have to shoot the first one in the cubby. They just go out and pick them up, you know? Just go out and get quail. And God said they're going to eat and eat and eat till it starts coming out their nostrils. I'm not hearing it no more, you know? He, he tells them, he said, just go get them. But even though he punished them, you know, he provided for them even though he punished them. It was the people that were kind of ruled by their cravings. You see, instead of complaining about what they did not have, though, you know, they should have been thankful for what they did have, didn't they? They had the manna. They had the Lord. But how many times are we like that as well? We see what we don't have. You know, how many times have you gone in the kitchen and said, I ain't got nothing to eat? You have food in the cabinet. You got food in the fridge. It's just not what you want right now, is it? You know, how many times have we done that ourselves? So we need to choose to be thankful instead of choose to complain. The Israelites also made another choice. The second choice they made in Numbers chapter 12 is that they chose to criticize. They chose to criticize. Now, this is an interesting uh, biblical account here, but I want you to see here in verse 1, that it is Miriam and Aaron that do the criticizing here. So look at verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. 
Maybe your uh, translation says that married an Ethiopian woman. It's the same thing. Cush is uh, representative of Ethiopia. Now, most likely what has happened at this time is that his wife that we'd seen earlier, Zipporah, has most likely died, and he took on another wife. And by being an Ethiopian, they were not the same color, were they? And so it probably stuck out, probably people looked at it as a, as a you know, just, just wasn't right in their eyes. But God said, go into the land and don't marry the Canaanites, didn't he? He didn't say anything about this lady from Africa that was a Cushite. And so the criticism began with his sister and with his brother. And so we see here that they began this criticism here, but there's a deeper criticism to what they're saying. And I want you to look at the first part of verse 2. It says, does this Lord only speak through Moses? Doesn't he not also speak through us? So you see here that they're, they're really talking about the fact, why is Moses the one that's the leader? I don't know if you've realized this or not in reading your word, but, you know, Aaron is older than Moses, okay? And if you go back to Exodus chapter 2, I believe it is, uh, you'll see where Moses is put in the basket and put in the river. And guess who's sitting there looking at him? His sister. So Moses is the youngest of the three. Now, I've never had brothers and sisters and everything, but I know enough to know that you don't want the youngest telling you what to do. And that's what, the, here's the problem here, right? That the youngest is telling them what to do. And they're complaining about that. They're com criticizing Moses' appointment. But look at that last couple of words of verse 2. It says, and the Lord heard it. Boy, that's scary, isn't it? Because he not only hears that, but he hears everything we say, doesn't he? The Lord heard it. And you think the Lord just dropped it and left it alone at that? No. Here we see in verse 4 through 9 uh, where the Lord confronts Miriam and Aaron. Let me read verse 4 through 9. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, You three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out, and then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them came forward, he said, listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I'll make myself, unknown, make myself known to him in a vision. I'll speak with him in a dream, not with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. Wow. Lord, I, I can't imagine what that had been like at that time to see the pillar uh, cloud come down and know that the Lord is there in the midst of the camp anyway, much less being called on the carpet by the Lord as well. And so God confronts them here. And he says, this is my, my servant that I've chosen. I don't speak to him like I speak to you. I speak to you, Miriam and Aaron, through uh, riddles and through dreams and other prophets like that. But him I speak to in the, 
as if it's face-to-face, openly and plainly. Now, we know it's not face-to-face or he'd have died, but it's the form of the Lord. And so we see here that God is showing them that he has a different relationship with Moses. And now Miriam must have instigated all of this because we see here in verse 10 that she is punished, but Aaron is not. And Miriam is punished by God gives her leprosy. And what does Moses do? Does Moses stand back and say, that's right, you get my sister. No, in verse 14 and 15, Moses begins to plead on her behalf. And then she became clean. I mean, she became healed, but she was unclean. She had to stay out of the camp just like everybody else for seven days. You know, it's so easy to be critical of others, isn't it? Even if it's our brothers or sisters, or even if it's our brothers and sisters in Christ. But instead of being critical, what we need to do is look for ways to lift each other up, don't we? And so they chose to criticize, but let us be challenged to choose to uplift one another. In chapter 13 and 14, they chose fear. The Israelites chose fear. Let me begin by reading verse 1 and 2 of chapter 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses, send men to scout out the land of Canaan that I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Now, what did God just say here? He said, send men to scout out the land. And here's the important part. He said, the land that I am giving them. He didn't say that I might give you. He didn't say that I could give you. He said, this is the land that I'm going to give you. And this is critical in chapter 13 and 14 because they forget or either don't believe what he said. Now, the men went and scouted the land. These aren't any men. They're 12 leaders from the Israelites. They go and scout the land. So I want to read to you verse 26 through 33 to show you the report that they bring back about the land. Verse 26. And the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go out now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak uh, come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seen the same to them. You see, the report about the land, they come in, they talk about how great that the 
uh, fruit is, how great of a land it was. We've seen in this chapter 13 how great the size of the fruit is that they find in the land. They give a good report. And then they say what? But, but, all these people in the land, all these fortified cities, there's giants in the land. We can't go do it. And so the Israelites became gripped with fear. You understand here that their 12 leaders went into the land. 10 said, no, there's no way we can do it too. Caleb and Joshua said, let's go do it. Well, majority rules, doesn't it? Majority is always right, isn't it? No, it's not, is it? In this case, they were not right. And so Caleb and Joshua said, we need to go. They said, no, Israelites were gripped with fear. Look at chapter 14. Verse 1 through 4. Then the whole community broke out with loud cries, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children became plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Here they are on the cusp of the promised land, ready to go in. Ready to go into the promised land. They're almost there, but they're far enough away, isn't it? Last night we went up to North Park. And I had to make a little run up there last night. So we go to North Park, get to County Line Road. Now you remember back in the day when North Park was really going, you couldn't get on County Line Road, would you? It's like we were back in time. And when we pulled off, it was like three or four lights. I had to end up going to Ridgeland and coming back around. We were right there, but we couldn't get there. Just like these Israelites. They were right there, but they can't get there. They're gripped with fear. And knowing this, knowing that they did not trust the Lord, the Lord punishes them. And this is the probably the pivotal point in the book of Numbers is Numbers chapter 14, verse 26 through 35. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I've heard the Israelites' complaints that they make against me. Tell them, as surely as I live, this is the Lord's declaration. I will do exactly as I heard you say. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness all of you who were registered in the census, the entire number of you 20 years old or more, because you have complained about me. I swear that none of you will enter the land I promised to settle you in, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. I'll bring your children whom you said would become plunder into the land you rejected, and they will enjoy it. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness, your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the penalty for your acts of unfaithfulness until all your corpses lie scattered in the wilderness. You will bear the consequences of your iniquities 40 years based on the number of 40 days that you scouted the land, a year for each day. You will know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. I swear that I will do this to the entire evil community that has conspired against me. Then they have come to an end in the wilderness, and there they will die. This is why Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It wasn't because they didn't know where they were going. 
It's because they were disobedient and the Lord punished them. They did not believe what the Lord had said. They did not take the land. And so the people disregarded uh, the Lord's punishment. I go down to verse 39 through 45. Some of them said, you know what? Forget about what he said. We're going to take the land. They went over there and they died anyway. And so we see here that the people listened to the majority of the men who scouted the promised land. And instead of listening to the promise of God, they were struck with fear. And we cannot be too critical of the Israelites because how many times do we read God's word? Say in Matthew 6 where he says, don't worry about anything. I'm going to take care of your needs. And what do we do? We worry a lot of times, don't we? We don't believe the word. We choose fear. But instead of choosing fear, we need to choose faith, don't we? We need to choose faith and live according to his word. The fourth one was, the choice they made was that they chose rebellion. They chose rebellion. Look at chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Now Korah, son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, sons of Pelas, sons of Reuben, took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders in the community and representatives in the assembly, and they rebelled against Moses. They came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, you have gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? See, the, they came in uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They came with 250 men, not just 250 men, but prominent Israelite men. They come to lead a rebellion to overthrow Moses, to get him out as leader. But the Lord proved that Moses was the leader. Because we see in later on in, in chapter 16, Moses said, you know, the Lord is going to, we're going to put the Lord to the test. And if you're wrong, what he's going to do is he's going to open up, he's going to kill you by uh, means that it's unnatural. And just as soon as Moses said that, God opened up the earth and swallowed those men and their families and he closed it back over them for leading a rebellion against the one that God had called. But he didn't just stop in proving that Moses was his leader that he picked. But he also proved that Aaron was the appointed one to lead the Levites and the priests as well. In chapter 17, he takes, uh, Moses takes the staff from Aaron and he takes staffs from other Israelite leaders, put them all in the tent of meeting. And he said, we're going to come back in the morning and the one that's budded uh, is the one that God has selected. Wrote their names on all the staffs and put them in the tent of meeting. Came back the next day, Aaron's staff had branches and had flowers all on it to show that he was definitely the one that God had called. See, the men, I mean, Moses here gave the instructions. And we see here that Moses uh, told them all this, put them to the test. The men that scouted these uh Promised land were not just 12 random men, but they were 12 tribal leaders, just like the men that led this rebellion were not just any men. They were leaders in the camp. We don't see these random people. We see prominent men. These people put too much importance 
on their own opinion, and at the same time, they did not put enough importance on the leadership and direction of God. They thought they knew better than God. And you know, while we may never think that or utter those words, any time that we rebel against God, what we're doing is we're saying we know better. God, I know you said not to do this, but this is going to make me happy, and I know better. You know, instead of choosing rebellion, we need to choose submission, don't we? And submit to him. Fifth choice that they made was that they chose unbelief. They chose unbelief. Now, this is an interesting uh, account here in Numbers chapter 20. Look at Numbers 20, beginning there in verse 1. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. There was no water for the community, so they assembled against Moses and Aaron, more complaining. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Take the staff and then assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You'll bring out water from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that the abundant water gushed out and the community of the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you'll not bring this assembly into the land I've given them. These are the waters of Meribah when the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and he demonstrated his holiness to them. Once again, the people complain because they're thirsty. And instead of believing the Lord that he will provide again for them, they quarreled and complained with Moses and Aaron again. And so God gave Moses instructions and told him how God would provide water for the Israelites. And Moses and Aaron were to speak to the rock. But Moses pointed to himself instead. In verse 10, he said, must, I, must me and Aaron bring this water out of this rock again? And he didn't follow the Lord's instructions. He didn't speak to the rock. He struck it not once, but twice. He didn't follow the Lord's instructions. Moses was angry with the Israelites, but by striking the rock, he did not obey the Lord's command. And in this case, disobedience equates with unbelief. Now, Moses had previously struck a rock to bring forth water in Exodus chapter 17, but God told him to do so then. But maybe he felt like he had to do something. Maybe he was just bitter, angry, and worn out and fed up with the Israelites. But regardless of the reason why, he and Aaron disobeyed the Lord. And so Moses did not believe that speaking to the rock would bring the water, but he thought he had to strike it. And so because of his unbelief, 
Moses and Aaron would now be banned from the promised land. And they would die too in the wilderness before they crossed over. So just like the Israelites that believed the unbel- uh, they had unbelief about the report. So instead of living in unbelief about God and his word, we must learn to trust him in his word, shouldn't we? And finally, the final choice was they chose impatience. They chose impatience. Look at Numbers 21, verse 4 through 9. Then they set out from Mount Or by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of their journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. And the people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone is, who is bitten looks at it, he'll recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Now the journey has become longer and longer. The people are becoming impatient. And so we see here that in verse 5 that they complained again. And so God was kind of fed up with them. And so he sends poisonous snakes into the camp to begin biting them as, as judgment. And so they, one good thing here is, is that they, we don't see where so many thousands died that the people repented. They repented and pleaded for intercession. I guess snakes will do that to you. They repented and pleaded for intercession. God told Moses to make this bronze snake on a pole and hold it up. And so the Israelites were on the back end of the wilderness journey. And so it's no surprise that they're impatient. And their journey was longer, due, in fact, to Edom not letting them go through. Their impatience led to complaining. And how many times do we get impatient as well? Well, we get impatient, don't we? But instead of being impatient, we need to be patient and wait on the Lord, for he knows best. Interesting thing about this bronze snake, you get over to Second Kings chapter 18. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, guess what they're doing to this bronze snake? They still have it around, and people are worshiping this snake. And so they destroy it then, Hezekiah does. And then you get over, you know John chapter 3 verse 16, you know it very well. But John chapter 3 verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up in the snake in the wilderness, the people were healed. So the Son of Man has to be lifted up for people to be healed. Who would have ever thought that the snake on the, on the pole would have been a foreshadowing of the cross to come, would it? And so they chose impatience. You see, what choices will you make? Will you choose to complain or to be thankful? Will you choose to criticize or to lift up others? Will you choose to live in fear or to live in faith? To live in rebellion or to submit to God? To have unbelief or to trust in Him? Or to be impatient or to wait on the Lord? The choice is yours, isn't it?